Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's easy to fool yourself that you're actually working when you're not working. So there would be a lot of stuff going on, like different exhibitions, museums, shows, and big book that was being published at the time. When you're an artist and you're not producing work, you feel somewhat dead inside. While Gregory Crudson was taking a hiatus from making photographs, he knew that there was something missing from his life. Now he's back with a body of work years in the making. I'm Matt Bowen, this is Phototypes. It's Matt freaking Bowen. Oh my god! Acclaimed American photographer Gregory Crudson makes images that take years to come together. Produced on the same scale as a film set, every part of the image is meticulously perfected from conception to finished image. In this episode of Phototypes, Gregory tells us all about his process, and more importantly, what drives and inspires both his images and himself. Gregory, welcome to Phototypes. My pleasure. As I asked everybody at the start of these podcast interviews, have a look around you exactly where you are now and tell us what you can see physically. Well, I'm in my studio in the uh, office, which is um, next door to my home, which is a church. And uh, the studio is a converted firehouse. And um, I'm in the corner of that and there's a beautiful view through the two windows out into the backyard. And where in the world is that? Uh, in Just outside of Great Barrington, Massachusetts. So, Gregory, for those people who don't know you, can you describe yourself as a photographer or the types of photography that you take? Well, I would describe myself, I guess, first and foremost as a storyteller. And I use pictures in a way to try to uh, tell that story um through light and color and um i would say that uh in some ways i would consider myself a realist and uh but i'm really interested in something that's not visible something that's repressed or uh uh which is psychological psychological fear psychological desire I know this is all very abstract, but I do it in um, sort of formal terms. I'm really interested in place and setting and form and relationships between body and setting. But I guess my sort of chief ambition in terms of photographer, as in terms of being a photographer, is to try to make the most beautiful and most mysterious picture that I can conjure. Where did this concept come from? Well, the concept isn't particularly a concept as much as it is a way of making pictures. You know, it's the only way I know how to make pictures. Uh, one thing I didn't 
describe is that I make pictures with a, a large group and the pictures are more like um, productions, like there's a very close relationship to movies. But I've always been interested in the relationship that a still photograph has to film. And I was always interested in telling stories through color and light. And this um, probably dates back to my first serious pictures and just grows organically. What are the stories that interest you? I think that all photographers have a relationship to uh, voyeurism, to um, to looking in on something that's secret or mysterious or forbidden. And I feel that my pictures have a relationship to that. Um, my pictures are sort of concerned with intimate situations, private moments that are photographed in a kind of removed way. So um, the very nature of looking into a viewfinder is an act of separation from the world. Um, I'm interested in that relationship and interested in making pictures that play off of that in one way or another. Describe the process to us then from sort of conception of an image to, to the final production. Well, I think in terms of still pictures always, you know, that's how I, um, my mind works. Um, I'm not particularly good with linear thought. So um, all my pictures begin and end with an image that um, I um, imagine in one way or another. Um, and it usually starts with location scouting months before a production where I uh, will make a picture that is shaped and influenced by a place. And through that setting, through that location, I will write a description with Julianne, uh, who works very closely with me. And that description becomes like a screenplay for the picture. Although it doesn't describe anything about motivation or plot or dialogue or anything like that. It's just a description of a still moment. And then through that, that description is shared with uh, my uh, director of photography and Rick Sands and um, through the actors and uh, anyone else who's involved. And we bring that picture to life in a production. How long can they take? Does it does it vary depending on the, the subject? The whole process from beginning to end, you know, can take years. Um, it's months of pre-production. The productions are the shortest period, actually. Um, a production takes between four and five weeks and will make like 10 or 15 pictures during that period. And then there's months of post-production afterwards. This new body work, Cathedral of the Pines, um, which is uh, about four years in the making, was three individual productions over the course of that time. And um, they were all separated from periods, uh, with, with periods of pre-production pre and post-production. Is it film or digital that you're working with? This is all digital. This is uh, from beginning to end, it's digital. Um, um, 
Beneath the Roses and everything that came before that was basically shot film 8 by 10 um, this is shot um, digitally and, and uh, consequently there's a different feel to these pictures they're um, they're much more intimate, more private, more um, sort of uh, less of a distanced view, more physical, I would say. Mm -hmm. And Cathedral of the Pines, which, as you said, is the, the title of the body of the work, also relates to the, the trail through the forest that you um, took the images. What was it about that place that inspired you? Well, uh, it, it might be worth saying that... Uh, these pictures, previous to these pictures, I went through, a, um, you know, quite a dark period where my marriage ended and, um, and I have two children. There was a, a great sense of dislocation. I moved out of New York, moved into the ch this church that I'm talking to you from now. And there were was about two years previous to even the first picture where I didn't make any pictures. Um, I was trying to stabilize my life, um, and uh, both as a father to my children, and just trying to kind of um, create a certain uh, stability in my own life. And in that process, I started. Um, you know, I'm a religious swimmer, so I part of the process of getting back to a certain kind of normality was uh, take these walks up the Appalachian trail and do these long distance swims in uh, open lakes. And then uh, during the winters, I would cross country ski. And it was during that period uh, in the middle of winter, uh, Joanne and I were uh, skiing deep in the forest in a pine forest. And there was a little sign that said Cathedral of the Pines uh, and it was the, kind of the revelation, uh, a moment of clarity where I saw the entire body of work in front of me, like um, in my mind's eye. And I knew that I wanted to make all the pictures in this very small town, Beckett, and they would deal with um, figures in nature and uh, they would all be on location, either in interiors or uh, in as in forests. Um, and that's what we did. During that period when you didn't make any images, had you lost a creative spark or was it always there? You just didn't have an outlet for it? You know, um, it's easy to fool yourself that you're actually working when you're not working. So there would be a lot of stuff going on, like different exhibitions, museums, shows, and big book that was being published at the time. When you're an artist and you're not producing work, you feel somewhat dead inside. But at the same time, I was sort of accepting it as a period where I had to uh, make a new life for myself, basically. So, you know, there was that nagging frustration always of not making pictures that, you know, makes you feel fraudulent on some level. So it was a, it was a great relief when we finally began the process. And did you know that you'd always come back to it then or were there doubts that you, you, you would come back to it at all? Oh, no, I knew. I mean, that's what I do. So, um, and it's really the only time apart from, you know, being with my fa family and, uh, 
where I feel fully alive and engaged. Um, and that's why it was like at the core of it, I was like not fully myself until I was making pictures again. I think, you know, we all go through these periods in life. Um, and um, I do think that when I finally started making pictures again, um, I had learned something about myself, uh, even though I was dormant. How much of yourself then is in your work? Well, I think they're not directly autobiographical in any sense, but I think particularly these pictures are very, very personal. They come out of like personal, they come out of deep out, you know, inside my uh, psyche, you know, that, um, you know, for an artist, the only reason to make pictures is to like um, try to tell your own particular story. Um, and, you know, what a photographer does is try to present that murky story and that's kind of unknowable and mysterious in pictures, you know, um, through form, through uh, representation. Right at the beginning of the interview, you mentioned about something that was left unsaid in the in the pictures, the things that were unspoken. Are you allowing then the viewer to form their own opinions and they can come up with whatever they want? It's not something that you definitely want them to come up with. They just, whatever occurs to them. Yeah, well, I think that's, you know, one of the great powers of photography is that it's an unresolved story necessarily. You know, um, photographs are very different than other narrative forms like um, a novel, let's say, or a movie. You know, it's a frozen moment in time. You know, the pictures are left a mystery even to myself. And that way, I, I feel like the viewer can bring their own story to it. Have you ever dabbled in other narratives, film, painting, things like that? Um, no. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of discussion over the years uh, that continues the idea of me making a movie, which in some way feels like it would be a natural next step. And in other ways, it feels very foreign to me. I mean, I'm very comfortable working with larger groups of people and almost everyone I work with come out of movies. Um, the difference though is um, a very fundamental one. And that is like, as I said earlier, I think it's from terms of still pictures. So the idea of like looping these together or the idea that I'd be responsible for dialogue or plot um, is, uh, I mean, that would be a really challenging thing for me. And I guess so almost it would be an opposite to what you want to achieve and that you are then leading people with a plot and a story to a, a final destination. Yes. And that sort of makes me uncomfortable, but you know, Art is about being uncomfortable in a certain way. So I think at some point I will attempt it. You know, um, the main thing is I would have to have a, like a story, like a, a real story to tell as a movie maker, as, as, as opposed to a photographer. And so that's, that would be the biggest obstacle i think and it also would have to be absolutely the right situation and um on set how involved are you during the the lead up into production and the the days when you actually take the shot 
Well, I'm kind of, I, I guess, you know, by the time, if everything goes right, by the time we're on set, like, um, there's almost very little for me to do, you know, um, except, you know, walk around nervously. Um, but I do make, you know, very important final decisions, uh, like framing, like what's in the picture, and then the smallest nuance of, like, positioning the the subject you know there's very little improvisation in my pictures so like i make those very small moves that i think either makes or breaks picture and do you always shoot at the same focal length i you know i try to um you know i do everything i can for the the final picture but the the viewer is not conscious of any of the apparatus of picture making. So I always will use a lens where there's as little distortion as possible. So that being said, um, I will use a normal lens mostly for exteriors and then for the interiors, a slightly wider lens, but I don't want any, uh, sort of odd angles i don't want any grain any unfocus any um, disruption of the transparency of the picture even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks italian leather jackets and so much more and the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think you said earlier that you take around 14 or 15 photographs and that's it. And you choose from those for the final image. Uh, no, what, 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 what I meant there was like, we actually make 14 pictures over the course of three weeks or four weeks or five weeks. Okay. Um, when we're shooting, we'll make hundreds of pictures mm -hmm. for any particular photograph and, but we don't move the camera ever. So once the camera is fixed, it's not moved because we will, wind up compositing different aspects of a picture later in post-production. So we will shoot over the course of uh, twilight from light to dark. We will shoot like every variation of focus and exposure to, and then we'll only use a fraction of those, but like the basic rule on set is if like, if you don't shoot it, we won't have it, you know? So we try to cover every opportunity there and we take very exacting notes 
in terms of what we're shooting. Okay, I'm going to take you back in time a little bit, Gregory, and back to your schooling days and your education. What did you study at school and what did you want to be at school? One of the reasons I'm a photographer is like I wasn't very good in academia. And it uh, turns out I had always throughout my life struggled with um, dyslexia. And I'm also um, left-handed and I hold a pen weird. All those things together, uh, all those liabilities together just made me a not a very good student. So I always had trouble reading and writing, test taking. Um, and this is always a real struggle, like throughout my, throughout my uh, school years. And then it wasn't until I was a uh, at undergraduate at SUNY Purchase, where I was studying to be a psychologist, I wanted to be like possibly um, be a psychiatrist like my father. I was finding it very difficult, just like test taking and everything. And I took my first photo one class um, and immediately fell in love with the medium, partially because it seems so natural to me. Like um, a photograph has you know, as we talked about earlier, no beginning or no end. It's a frozen moment in time. And I know, I knew how to read it. You know, it made sense in terms of the way I think about things. How did you progress that love then? You know, I took my first photo one class with Laurie Simmons, uh, who was a great influence, and then studied with Jan Gruber and others. Um, but at the same time, I was always also taking film theory classes and uh, learning a lot about movies and falling in love with movies. So it was early on where I tried to begin thinking about how to bring those two mediums together. And uh, that's essentially what I started doing on the undergraduate level. And then I could continue on, on uh, uh, in graduate school at Yale um, in the late eighties. What were the movies that you loved that inspired you? Well, this one, uh, you know, I had this one particular, um, uh, film teacher named Tom Gunning who really opened me up enormously to the history of movies, particularly Hitchcock. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I remember classes like, the um, 1950s melodrama horror films. I think I inherited just like, an interest in kind of accessible uh, movie making, Hollywood, you know, an interest in that tradition, you know, the Hollywood tradition. And then later, you know, became more interested in Cronenberg and others. And then when I was in graduate school, I saw uh, Blue Velvet between, I guess it was um, in uh, 1986. And that definitely changed my life. So at the point you graduated, what what were you doing then? Well, I graduated uh, and in 1988 and with very little uh, possibility, I think. I mean, I started teaching adjunct photography classes and um, was working as a waiter and then made the decision to move to um, into my parents' log cabin in Massachusetts 
and just continue making pictures and struggled quite a bit and went through different kind of periods in terms of my work and then had the fortune to be included in a the first time I was ever in a, in a show ever anywhere was at the Museum of Modern Art and um, a show called uh, Pleasures and Terrors of Domestic Comfort, which was like in 1990. And that was like my first kind of visibility as an artist. What were the, the subjects of those of those images? Where had the, that influence come from? Those were, there were, there were a few pictures from um, my thesis show at, at Yale. And um, th those pictures are, you know, I'm still very uh, connected to those pictures because if they're not hugely different from what I do now, but on a much smaller scale. You know, they're like domestic dramas using lighting color. And then there were a couple of pictures, which were the dioramas that I made um, as a, uh, in the early 1990s. Um, that were influenced by museum dioramas that dealt with like the relationship of nature and domesticity. They were directly re uh, influenced by Lynch for sure. Who or what was inspiring you at that point? I mean, it was an interesting time to be a photographer, like when I was in graduate school and after, because at that time, Yale was a very kind of traditional program and um, was very much connected to the tradition of documentary photography such as Walker Evans and uh, Eggleston and Freelander and that whole group. But at the same time, uh, I was going down to New York and seeing, you know, shows by first generation postmodern photographers like Cindy Sherman and um, Richard Prince uh, and others. And I feel like my work somehow uh, was equally indebted to both the tr documentary tradition and the postmodern tradition. Um, um, and sort of the relationship both of those traditions have to, uh, to uh, truth and fiction. And was there anybody particularly influencing you? And does anyone influence you now? Or do you, are you particularly focused just on yourself and don't, get too much outside influence. Yeah, I mean, I was hugely influenced by movies and I think Cindy Sherman was a, a very pivotal figure for me. And um, and then there were other like uh, forebearers like uh, William Eggleston and uh, Stephen Shore and Joel Sternfeld. Um, they're all like very much part of my sensibility, I think, you know. Now, I, you know, the interesting thing is I think you're, def you're defined as an artist when you're coming of age. You know, it's when you're a young artist in your 20s, that's when you're really shaped in terms of the pictures that really influence you and haunt you. I think in a certain way, you, you spend the, 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 the rest of your life battling those um, influences or redefining them or reinventing them you know um so i just think that's sort of a natural process you you know when you're a young artist you allow all those influences in and then um 
and then you spend the rest of your life trying to define your own sensibility, I would say. How much does social media play in your um, life at the moment? Think something like Instagram? Well, that's an interesting question because I had never been on Instagram. Um, I think that all photographers need to kind of ask themselves that very question because we're making pictures in a very different moment uh, now. And we are inundated with pictures on a continuous level, but it's pictures in on screens. That's how like our culture understands photography in a certain way. And any photographer who's like still committed to the idea of making a picture that's a physical thing that hangs on the wall has to like understand that like that's um, a small percentage of pictures do we under do we experience them in that level you know so it just makes the task that much harder you know that much more complicated that much more d demanding I think you know um, and I'm fully aware that like when you make a series of pictures. I mean, I've made a general rule not to have any pictures um, sent digitally through email or JPEGs or for that very reason, I was trying to keep the, the actual image, the physical image of something that's paramount, you know. That being said, um, we um, are using Instagram, uh, I think in an interesting way, and we're um, showing the behind the scenes of the making of the pictures. Uh, we're, we're allowing those images out into the social media world. And I, I feel like that's been really exciting. And do you control those pictures that go out in the same sort of way? Do they have to be of, of a similar style, of, of, of a, a particular style? Well, what we did was um, when we were in productions, we just told all our crew members to feel free to document every aspect of it, you know, from beginning to end. And the only thing that we asked them was that they didn't show the pictures. We asked them that we pull all the photographs that they've made on their cell phones and that we maintain control over them. And we held on to them for a couple of years. So we created a huge image bank of pictures that were made from every imaginable vantage point from all the crew members. And then at a certain point, Julianne organized the Instagram um, account and started very selectively sending out these pictures daily. Um, but most of these pictures were made previously, like years, sometimes years ago. Oh, you've had a good response from that? Oh yeah, I think it's it's, it's great because it, the, in the end, the pictures tell you everything but nothing. You know, they're like they, they create anticipation without showing you any of the final product. You know, so the idea of actually putting a, a final picture on Instagram would not be interesting to me on any level. But the idea of like showing the behind the scenes. Um, the making of the pictures, the uh, even like the walks up to Upper Goose Pond, the swims, the cross-country skis, all that becomes part of the narrative of the 
of the story, the behind the backstory of these pictures. Right, Gregory, what excites you? Well, making pictures excites me. Going to uh, movies excites me. But what really excites me is like having everyday rituals where I like certain consistency in my life. So having a great cup of coffee excites me or going for a, a hike and a swim excites me. Being with my kids excites me. Conversely to that, then what scares you? Well, making pictures scares me too. You know, like in a certain way, it's easier not to make pictures than make pictures just because there's less at stake. But that's a, a good kind of terror, I think. Do you feel pressure every time you um, you start a production? Uh, yes. I mean, every part of it, really. And now that we're about a month from the show opening, that really feels like... Um, I mean, it's exciting, but it's there's an element of terror too because, like, you've invested everything basically. You're putting it all out there for the world to see. How important is it to you that people respond to them and like them, or are you doing these pictures now for yourself? I mean, how important is the gratification from it? Well, I think every artist like has an it's like uh, an imagined audience. Like, it's you don't make pictures in isolation, you know, um, you have to understand that there's a context, there's an audience. That being said, when you're making the pictures, you have to put that all away and just focus on trying to be as honest and clear with yourself as possible and try to make the best picture you can. But I would be lying to say that I don't think about response. You know, that's for sure. Okay. What's your favorite swear word? Um, favorite swear word? Oh, it's, well, it's got to be fuck, I think. That's a pretty popular one in this podcast. Do you swear a lot on set? Are you quite calm or do you get... I don't swear. No, I, 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 I rarely get angry on set. Very rarely. Uh, once in a while I do, but I don't really... I try not to show it. I get much angrier... In, re in everyday life, you know, driving, for example, or uh, things like that, you know, more trivial things. Uh, now, if you could be anything else for a day, what would you be, Gregory? Oh, well, I guess a filmmaker to see how that feels. Or someone who has like, you know, a real job. That would be interesting. <laughs> I always, you know, always kind of wonder about that, you know, like people who have like a, a, a job that they feel good about that they go to every day and feel proud about like i wonder how that would feel like who living or dead would you like to photograph i guess that would have to be uh walker evans maybe why in particular well i love his picture making i love i love like his appearances and um and i feel very kind of influenced by his particularly american vision and and you know my son i named my son walker after walker evans so He's near and dear to my heart. Right, Gregory. If you could give some advice to another photographer who's maybe just starting out on their photography journey, what would it be? I think um, my advice would be be true to your vision. Nurture your particular view of the world because it's really, in the end, the only thing you have. And finally then, this is the last question. Who else should I be interviewing on this podcast, Phototypes? Who would you like to hear from? 
I would like to hear Hiroshi Sugimoto, although uh, I think his pictures tell me everything I need to know about him. Gregory, it's been great chatting to you. Thank you very much for uh, taking the time out of your day and, and speaking to us. Great questions. And now I'm uh, going to bring my kids to Star Wars. Well, many thanks to Gregory for joining us. His new show, Cathedral of the Pines, is now open at Gagosian Gallery on 522 West 21st Street in New York until 5th of March. If you're enjoying Phototypes on iTunes particularly, then please rate and review the show so that other people can find it. It really does make a difference. Coming up soon on Phototypes, we're heading to the far north of Sweden and Austin, Texas. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns